Hey guys, welcome back to Bible Unlock. I am very excited to be able to announce that we're going to be starting a brand new series called The Greatest Sermon Ever Preached. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your Bibles, read the book of Matthew chapter 5 through chapter 7, get familiar with these passages because we're going to be breaking down the Sermon on the Mount. We want to be able to understand the words of Jesus and how these verses can accurately and properly fit into our everyday lives. With that being said, I invite you to sit back in a prayerful attitude, relax, and let's get into our study. Whenever you come across the red letters in your Bible, you should pay extra attention to it because it is our Lord and Savior speaking. And uh, most of your Bibles will have this. If not, that's okay. But you'll find that Matthew chapter 5 all the way to chapter 7, that the entire chapters are red letter, which means that Jesus is the one directly speaking in these chapters. And I think whenever Jesus is speaking, we want to pay close attention to it because we want to understand the words of Jesus. Um, our Sermon on the Mount actually begins in chapter 4. And the reason that I want to just highlight chapter 4, the end of chapter 4, is it sets the scene and the context for us. Where Jesus is out, he's teaching, he's healing, and uh, a report of him goes out. Which means people begin to recognize, okay, there's this guy by the name of Jesus, and he's doing all these wonderful things. And crowds begin to follow him. And in chapter 1, Jesus sees these crowds. And what he does is he goes up a mountain, he sits down, his disciples are there by him. And he starts to teach them. And he begins with the first section of the Sermon on the Mount that we call the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are, I guess to put it simply, there are these eight declarations of blessings that are spoken by Jesus. And what Jesus does is he begins with the word blessed, followed by a phrase, and then an explanation of how a particular person is blessed. Now, what Jesus does is really fascinating because as we go through these different statements, we're actually going to realize that in our terms or in our society today, we're going to be very puzzled. And some of us are even going to scratch our heads because we're going to wonder how are these particular people blessed. But before we get there, I want to actually define that word blessed or blessing. And uh, being able to understand what that word means, I think, will hopefully help us to grasp these blessings that Jesus pronounces for those that are listening and ultimately for each and every one of us that are reading today. Now, that word blessed can be translated also as happy. So when you're reading the Beatitudes, you can try to begin to um, connect the word happy with the word blessed so that you can try to get a broader picture of what this word means. But I think the word blessed in the Greek probably has a, a greater significance than in the English language. So I'm going to try to kind of maybe simplify it here for you. So the idea of this word is large or lengthy. So when God blesses, what he does is he extends or makes long his benefits. And what God does is he always expands his mercy. He always lengthens his grace and he always bestows these advantages on us. And so when someone that is blessed, what what they're doing is they're enjoying the benefits of God's goodness upon them. And I think for all of us, we can be very grateful or joyful or cheerful or glad to know that God treats us with compassion, although we don't really even deserve it. 
And so when Jesus begins to open up the Beatitudes with the word blessed, he's trying to, I think, signify that these people are in a state of being able to enjoy God's favor, God's goodness, and they're in a state where nothing around them, no event, no uh, person can take that joy away from them because they are totally satisfied in God. And because they're totally satisfied in God, as we would say, they're blessed or they're happy. So we're going to start with our first beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verses 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I've always wondered, when Jesus begins with the phrase poor in spirit, what does that mean? You know, I, I used to actually think that when Jesus says this, that he's talking about those that are poor, that are actually poor, that don't have any money or don't have any material things. But I think it kind of, that understanding, I think kind of contradicts with what Jesus is saying, because Jesus is not specifically talking or referencing to our physical lives instead what what jesus is doing here is he is saying those that are spiritually poor and that's why there's that word in their spirit which we can begin to understand okay it's not talking about materially being poor or not having enough finances but rather it's talking about a spiritual recognition so those that realize their spiritual poverty and their need for god are ones that are blessed you know, the ones that are blessed in this verse here, in chapter 5, verse 3, they're the ones that realize that I am not that important. I think they realize that they are nothing without God. They realize how unworthy and unholy and unrighteous they are. And they're in a state where they need God. And what Jesus says is that those people that are poor in spirit, those people are the ones that are able to experience God's blessing because, Jesus says, kingdom of God belongs to them. Now, I think contrary to the Pharisees and contrary to their society, the ones that would have seen to be blessed would be the spiritually fit, the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the religious folks. And what Jesus does here is kind of inverts. And this is what Jesus does with these Beatitudes. He begins the process of inverting their norms and their beliefs and he says it's not the righteous ones it's not the priest it's not the pastors it's not the scholars it's the ones that are poor in spirit it's the broken it's the sinner those are the ones that are happy and blessed because they are the ones that are going to receive god's kingdom i mean to me that's just beautiful to realize that the kingdom of god is prepared for those that are broken and for those that are unfit to be there now if you are thinking, man, I'm unholy, I'm a sinner. The good news is that you are blessed and that God's kingdom belongs to you. Now, the next one that we're going to get into here is blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Again, what Jesus does is he begins these reversals and in these reversals, he begins to explain to us what it truly means to be blessed. He says again, blessed or happy are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now, mourning, it's... Uh, we all know it's a state of being in deep grief. And whenever something tragic happens or we lose a loved one, we go through this process of actually mourning. And I think in continuing on that trend of understanding spiritual blessedness, Jesus, I think, is indicating now that the ones that are mourning are the ones that are mourning over their spiritual status or their spiritual state. And Jesus begins to really say that those that recognize their state, those that are poor in spirit, 
will mourn over their sins, will mourn over their life, and thus what they're going to receive is comfort from the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit is able to comfort me and you in such a way where we cannot comfort ourselves. And although our hearts condemn us, God is able to comfort those that recognize their sins and that recognize how broken they really are. And again, this is the good news for each and every one of us to realize and recognize that God will ultimately comfort us, although we're sinners. Let's get into verses 5, where Jesus now begins to say, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I think when I first started to read this and uh, I try to think of what a meek person is like, um, for me, it always, I always, for some reason, associate it with like being weak or being tame or deficient in courage. But actually, like the biblical understanding of meekness is power under control. So that word meek, like originally how it was actually used in their language, it was used to describe reigning in a stallion. So it's basically the idea of a horse being controlled by a bit and a brittle, and the horse is choosing to submit to its authority. So that's meekness. It's power under constraint. And I think the example that I can give you for this is picture an adult playing soccer with little kids. You know, that adult can totally dominate them. You know, he can push them around. He can run faster than them. But yet what that adult does is they choose to restrain their power. They choose to be on a level with those kids so that they can enjoy playing soccer together. And this is what Jesus is saying, blessed are the meek, because he's saying the ones that are able to control their power, the ones that are choosing to put their power or their strength under control are the ones that God will ultimately give this world over to. Again, contrary to their society, who are the ones that are in charge? I mean, it's the Romans. And the Romans are very forceful, and they come in with their strength and their power, and they abuse their strength and their power to be able to exercise their, uh, their authority. Now, Jesus says God's kingdom is quite different than the one that we see in this world. God's kingdom is a kingdom where his people rule with meekness in other words those that rule and are able to keep their power under control again this is just very powerful and uh, this is probably one of my favorite beatitudes that we see here in verse 6 we read blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they're going to be filled jesus now says that happy are the ones that are hungering for righteousness those that realize and recognize their earnest desire to want to seek after this. And he uses this, like, I guess, analogy with hunger and thirsting, which is something that all of us can relate to. We all have to eat every day or drink every day. And when we're hungry and thirsty, all we want to satisfy that is food. And Jesus says, blessed are those that are hungering for righteousness. And I think a good question to ask is, what is righteousness? In a deeper spiritual meaning, you know, righteousness is the quality of being right in God's eyes, including character, including attitude, including our conduct and our action. So righteousness is, and you can just kind of break that word down, it's right doing. Now, the bad news is that none of us can always do right, and none of us are right before God. 
So how can we attain this righteousness? And this is where Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. So in other words, blessed are the ones that long for righteousness. Blessed are the ones that want to be righteous. And blessed are the ones that seek after this day and night because God says, or Jesus says, that they're going to be filled. You know, the only one that is able to give us our righteousness is Jesus himself. Not our righteousness, his righteousness. I got to make that correction. Jesus is the only one that can give his righteousness. And if we long after it, if we seek after it, he's the one that will bestow or give this righteousness unto us, not because we can earn it, not because we can attain it, but because it's a free gift that is given by God. You know, the text that comes to my mind is 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is through Jesus and in Jesus that we receive righteousness and that we have this perfect righteousness, although each and every one of us are sinners. And blessed are the ones that seek after this. Notice that it doesn't say blessed are the perfect ones that receive God's righteousness. No, no, no. It doesn't say that. It says blessed are the ones that seek after it, that hunger after it, because God will bestow upon his righteousness. Verse 7 says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. You know, to be merciful is to show forgiveness and is to be compassionate to those that are around us. This word can also be translated as compassion, which is something that I just said. And it can also be used of in terms of being full of pity. And when Jesus begins to say that blessed are the ones that are merciful, he's trying to, to really point and uh, really reverse how our society treats people around us. Because in our society and in their society, you can treat those that are treating you well in the same way. But the ones that are abusing you and the ones that are uh, being rude to you and the ones that are taking advantage of you and, and whatever the case is, we have a very difficult time with showing love and mercy to them. And what Jesus now begins to say is that although you have the Romans and the Pharisees and all these folks around you, you are still to be merciful towards them. You are still to show love and compassion and forgiveness, although people don't treat you the way you want to be treated. And I remember Jesus, Peter asking Jesus, you know, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister? And he's like, up to seven times. And Jesus says, no, not up to seven times, but 70 times seven. And that's the point that Jesus makes is that as kingdom believers and as followers of Jesus, we are constantly to show love and forgiveness to those that are around us. Although it's difficult to do, this, these are kingdom principles and those that show mercy are the ones that truly get to experience the benefits of God in their lives. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Pure heart can mean clean it can literally mean ceremonially or spiritually clean, guiltless or innocent or upright. And so the ones that are going to get to see God are the ones that are pure and the ones that have been declared innocent. And how can you and I, how can we be made pure and innocent and holy? And it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that when we have Jesus in our lives, when we surrender our lives to him and when we fully come to him as we are and we long for righteousness, Christ will forgive us. He will clean us. And just like in the Old Testament, when the people would go and sacrifice animals on behalf of their sins, 
Jesus becomes that ultimate sacrifice that washes us and makes us completely pure so that we can stand before God and see him. So blessed are the ones that are pure and the ones that have been pronounced innocent. We all need to be washed. All of us need to be made clean. And it is Jesus that will do it for us. And in doing so, man, what a day it's going to be for us to stand face to face with God. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. You know, only children of God can bring the peace of God to others. And then again, I I really want to be able to bring you back in their days because to understand the turmoil and the political unrest that was happening in their day, you can really be able to see Christ's words become very relatable to them. And I think, again, it's very relatable to us as we go through so much political unrest and wars and and, and all these different things that we're experiencing, Jesus begins to say that happy are the peacemakers, the ones that go out and share God's good news, the ones that go out and rather than causing, you know, chaos or rather than tearing others down, tearing others down, they're the ones that are there to be able to bring about peace in people's lives. And I think the ultimate peace that we can bring is the gospel of jesus because the gospel of jesus can not only change people's lives but it can bring about that restoration between persons but it can also bring that restoration between an individual and their savior and so someone that is actively working towards peace is someone that is out in reconciling people with others and with god and jesus says that happier these people Blessed are these people because they'll enjoy the benefits of God upon them. Verse 10. What I'm actually going to do is I'm going to read verses verses 10 all the way to 12 because this last beatitude, in other words, can it, it, it's put together. Although in your verses you'll see them separated, but I think in one way or another they're saying the same thing. So here's what it says. It says, Blessed are those who, persecu- who are persecuted for righteousness for their for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil things about you falsely on the account of me rejoice and be glad because your reward is great in heaven for they persecuted the prophets before you in the same way jesus says now again this is another one of those reversals we don't often think that people that are being persecuted are in a state of blessedness i certainly don't think that i don't think that when people are insulting you when people are gossiping about you and when they're saying all kinds of evil and false things about you, that I'm in a state of being blessed. But Jesus says, when these things are happening, you should begin to recognize that you're blessed. Um, Blessed are those that are persecuted for righteousness. Jesus is very specific here. He's not just saying that anybody that's persecuted for any reason, but the reason here is very specific and it is being persecuted for righteousness being persecuted for God's sake or being persecuted for Christ's sake. Those are the ones that get to experience what it truly means to be blessed. You know, the insult, I think it literally means to cast in one's teeth. So this, this refers to people negatively talking about you. Um, how many times do we face this? I mean, you can be at work, or at church, you can be anywhere, and you'll find somebody that says something very negative about you. If you've ever been in that position and people are trying to bring you down on the account of your relationship with Jesus, 
Jesus says, be glad. And the reason why we should be glad is that all of God's prophets, all of God's people have been persecuted. And if you read the Old Testament, it doesn't really take you too long to get into the story before you begin to realize how often God's prophets, God's people are persecuted. And yet it is in the midst of that persecution that they are able to find peace and joy and connect with their Savior. And so if you are being persecuted for your faith, Jesus says rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. You should rejoice because Jesus was also in the same place when he was here, he was persecuted. And as his followers, I think we can expect to be persecuted. And I want to add in here as well that we might not always be persecuted by people, but there is a spiritual realm. And in this spiritual realm, we have the darkness. We have the power of the enemy that is working to break us and bring us and bruise us and destroy us and beat us down. And although we might face spiritual attack, I think we can also take what Jesus is saying here to begin to recognize that when we're going through that, through those spiritual persecutions, we can begin to rejoice because in the same way, our Lord and our Savior was persecuted. You see, when you read these Beatitudes, I think I can conclude with this, that true joy and satisfaction really comes from following God. Nobody, not me, not you, nobody is too far. Nobody's too broken for God. Because God is willing through Jesus to give us the joy of experiencing what it really means to be blessed. And that is found in Jesus Christ alone. If you have never accepted Jesus, I want to I give you this opportunity to do so. And if you want to recommit your life, you can also do this. If you want to experience true joy and true blessing, it is found in Christ alone. With that being said, I want to encourage you to stay tuned as we continue to study the Sermon on the Mount. Be blessed and see you next time.